0: Welcome to the Patient Flow Podcast, powered by Teletracking. On today's episode of the Patient Flow Podcast, we continue our conversation with Tom Stafford, Vice President and Chief Information Officer for Halifax Health in Daytona Beach, Florida. Let's listen in as Tom delves deeper into projects that came about through the implementation of rounding with clinical teams. We did three things. When I got involved, they were they were already kind of in process, but we completed them, and that's what's really helped us to this day was, one, doing two MDRs. There's no doubt about that, and we've talked about that. Um, we have a bed matrix. Also, one, one very important aspect of MDRs is geographical placement of mm-hmm. our hospitalists. So our typical MDRs will have two hospitalists that, on my unit, they probably have 90% of the patients. Um, and outside of that, there may be some residents and their faculty that are seeing a couple patients or another hospitalist group and so having the hospitalists along with case management uh, nursing leader nursing leadership and nursing pharmacy and then therapy all those folks together really make the core and they collaborate and do great things i've I've witnessed great things like oh my god like it probably would have happened but having everybody in the room talking at the same time just makes things more efficient and moves things along faster and at the end of the day, our goal is always to make sure that the patient's at the right level of care. And sometimes that's not the hospital. And so that could be, you know, home with home health or assisted living facility or a sniff or all that stuff, and, or rehab. And so we just make sure that we get them there. So outside of that, we did the bed matrix, which helped out patient placement as far as if it's this type of patient with this type of diagnosis. This is the first unit they're going to go to, or this is the second. And I think that also helped with geographical rounding, because then it made the unit more, the cohort of patients was similar. And so the hospitalists were doing the same sort of work all the time. So I think that was beneficial. And we also came up with a thing called Code Purple. It's kind of like a semi-command center that we open up if some conditions are met. It's all around how many folks are in the waiting room in ED, how many beds are we holding in PACU, and a couple other things which, which are leading indicators to show that we're bunching up and we're, we're gonna have an issue with uh, left without being seen because we're not moving patients as fast as we should. When three of those conditions are met, then we call a code purple. And we move the operations center where it is today and have case management more folks involved to focus on that day. And then once the conditions are cleared, then we clear the code purple. And so in our busy season, which is January through March, I think we were in code purple every day, including the weekends. Another thing we did around MDRs was uh, we saw behavior on the weekends where we just didn't discharge as many folks. And we would see the, it would be a build-up. like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday would be heavy discharge days and then Saturday and Sunday would be slower, and then Monday would be like a hangover from Saturday and Sunday, and it would slowly ramp back up. It was very cyclical, and we could see this on graphs and everything. And even if it was a three-day weekend, you could see the, and it turned the lower discharges into three days. So we also started an on-call program for executives, and it's really for barrier escalation and resolving them. And that included going in and running the MDRs on the weekend. And so, there's like seven of us in the rotation, but that means, on when it's my weekend I get to go to work from about eight to two o'clock. But we noticed a substantial difference in discharges because of that. Mostly on Saturdays. And Sundays were a little slower. And it was my perception. The problem on Sunday was that it was a whole it was all new patients and they weren't just ready to go home. And it wasn't just the M D R so our day we have a, a daily ops call at eight thirty in the morning. And the whole purpose of that call is patient flow. Actually, in the middle of the night, all of our, the charges on the units in teletracking document what the barriers are for the patient. Because at night, everybody, really you know, they have a little more time to go through and do all that. And so then they utilize that information. And they even put in pending discharges at that time. And then at our 830 call, our nurse managers uh, go through that nurse's script that they follow. And if there's any assistance they need, it happens on that call. And then our MDRs happen from 9 to 11.30, more or less. And at 11.30, all the MDR leaders and the nurse managers meet in a room. And we talk about the discharges for the day and what's pending, what's confirmed, um, if there are any barriers that need to be broken down. And then the rest of the day, they discharge patients. It's my goal to move MDRs to the end of the day. That's what Lee Wallace did at McLeod, and that seemed to make the most sense to me. And we're going to do that soon, but our COO actually wanted to first have a a single physician leader for each unit. So I think once he has that lined up and we move MDRs to really happen from like 3 to 4.30 and use the 8.30 call as an execution call of who's getting out before 11, um, we'll actually start seeing a lot better discharges earlier in the day. Even though we've reduced length of stay, our discharge time really hasn't changed. We still get X amount out before 11, before two. But I think if we shift the MDRs, that'll allow us to really focus on the morning and give a priority in the morning for our hospitals when they go in. So, And then to do integration with teletracking with their HCIS and everything. And I, I can't do that right now because we're putting in a new HCIS, and so it's a little busy. Was there any initial reluctance from executives? when they were told they were going to be a part of multidisciplinary rounding. And how has that changed now that they've seen the outcomes? It was a directive, so there wasn't any real <laughs> no backlash, no backlash. Um, and I think most of us still do it um, based on who should, comes to the MDRs, or the like the stay huddle meeting. Um, there was originally resistance to have the hospitals at the MDRs, but once Dr. Kwong, our CMIO, was up there, you could just see the difference. I have no problem talking, and so I made sure everybody knew that and came up and just watched the MDR and what Dr. Kwong was doing. And pretty quickly after that, the hospitals were part of it. And then we expanded to all the possible med surge units that we could for the MDRs. And we did talk about bedside rounding, but there's like 12 people. And if you get rid of our MDRs actually have the nurse; all the nurses attend, and there's some value in that. Even so, when you know Nurse Jones is only talking about her patients, the other nurses are in the room and they're learning from it. And so we don't bring nurse in, nurse out type of thing. We get everybody in the room. If just from talking to folks, it seems bedside is really no one's really doing that because it turns an MDR. That norm, our average time is about 30 minutes for a full patient load, which is 36 on that unit. And I think if he went from room to room, that would probably turn into an hour and a half. What does your roadmap look like for projects into 2019? Oh, I have a lot of things happening <laughs> right now. We're putting in a new PAC system in a VNA, and we are going live at Meditech's new um, platform, so it's a forklift replacement. We're hardening our data center, and there's all these things going on. And so really, unfortunately, right now, we're so focused on some of these big implementations all of our resources are working on that, so I can't do a lot of neat stuff. For us, the neat stuff is inner I call it interoperability, and also the government wants interoperability and all these systems to talk together, but healthcare IT actually came up in silos. And a great example is teletracking, right? So we have our healthcare information system, but their bed board didn't compare, and we needed something that had more functionality, so we purchased teletracking years ago. And so there's great data in teletracking, there's great data in meditech, but it's, it's disconnected. And so one of the things we focus on is getting those golden nuggets of data together and having some sort of like next generation clinical decision support system. And then it'll do predictive or prescriptive alerting to our caregivers. Tom, what keeps you up at night besides those things? Cyber scary is a big deal. I have a great staff that does amazing things. We've actually been named the best place to work in IT the last three years in a row for mid-size organizations from Computer World. My staff's very engaged and very empowered to do work. I keep things really simple, so I don't have big strategies and stuff like that. I have a cyber strategy, but that's really based on a risk management plan that we have to do based on risk assessments. And then the government's giving me a quality slash EHR strategy, obviously, in IT at Halifax, we focus on four objectives. First objective is customer service. So outside of being courteous, friendly, respectful, and providing feedback and owning an issue, we don't talk tech to our customers. Like I said before, 2,500 of my customers put bedpans underneath their patients to give them some comfort. They don't get gigabytes. They don't understand virtualization or servers. And if we talk tech to them, they get embarrassed, and they don't tell us the problem. So we can't solve it. So we always talk to their level. And then we also don't say no in IT. There's a thousand ways to solve any IT problem. And if we do say no, nurses are very good at coming up with ways around no. (laughs) And unfortunately, that way around could be harder for us to service or affect our security perimeter and all that stuff. So we always give options for everything we do. Our uh, second objective is to maintain operational stability, which is a fancy word for keeping the lights on. We're a 24-7 operation. And so, teletracking has to be up 24 7, as with all of our other EHRs. And so, we do a lot of stuff behind the scenes to have things always up. And our metrics are really good in that respect. Our third objective is to enhance operational and strategic initiatives. And that goes back to making things better. And we talked about that a little bit with interoperability. And our fourth objective is to protect patient information. And so, if you're doing one of those things, good. If you're doing two or three, great. If you're doing four, you're a rock star. Everybody's empowered to do so. I guess back to your, what keeps me up at night is just making sure we're focusing on the right priorities. And uh, obviously the cyber threat's a big deal. And so we do lots of things around that to protect our patients' information because they've entrusted us with it. And the last thing I wanna do is lose our patients' information and uh, lose that trust. Thank you for listening to the Patient Flow podcast powered by Teletracking. We take pride in bringing you insightful conversations with the leading experts in Patient Flow, as well as tips on industry best practices to help ensure patients get the right care in the right place at the right time.